Welcome back, guys, to Merlisten, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, the show, the fandom, the characters, the ships, basically anything we can think about that we want to talk about. Today's episode is going to be another character episode about Morgana, and your hosts are, as ever, me, Momotastic. And Miss Snowfox, which is me. Hi! (laughs) So, this episode about Morgana was supposed to air about four weeks ago, but um, as I have mentioned on our website and Tumblr before, we had a tech fail, and we had to rearrange some of the schedule and this is why you get two episode reviews in a row or you got them in february and now you get morgana this week and then another character analysis in two weeks but we're not gonna spoil who it is until the very end of this podcast so you'll just have to listen through i'm sorry i mean you know they if they wanted to be spoiled they could just look at our schedule on my listen (laughs) But good thing you bring it up, like, because guys, there is the schedule of our upcoming episodes until the end of the year on our website, and you should go and check it out and let us know if you want to come and be a guest host on any of these episodes. So, because we really like talking to other people about things that we enjoy or even don't enjoy. Indeed. I mean, I hope that... You guys all listened to our Arwen two-parter. We had such a fun time having guests. It was like a really different experience for us. And it can be anything, guys. Like if you have a particular episode of Merlin that's your favorite, like mine was the Poison Chalice, and you just want to come on and like rant about how much you love it, like it doesn't have to be like a like a specific themed one. It can be anything. So uh, yeah, just 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 well, you know where we are. Just send us a message. So or even if you just you know have an opinion on any of these subjects and just want to be a guest host for the heck of it you know we're we're open to that (laughs) yeah absolutely we always enjoy talking to new people yeah so let's quickly hear some news before we talk um, about some of the comments we've been getting the after kamlan big bang signups have finally opened They'll stay open for writers until the 10th of May and for artists until the 20th of June. Ficklet underscore zone is a new live journal community with monthly prompts for ficklets of any length and any fandom, which means Merlin fandom is very much welcome there. So writers go and represent. And since it's still March, let us remind you that Merlin Memory Month on Tumblr is still going and you can still participate. It's a prompt-based fest to celebrate the show every day of the month. And that's all the news we have this week. And then some talkbacks. So our first one um, is from another veteran of ours, which is Real Life Sucks Ass. And um, they commented on the Gwen episode that we did. And um, one comment that they made that I thought was really interesting was... um, uh, the fact that, you know, we never really got to see how Gwen dealt with her grief, like, post-season five finale, and we didn't really get to see kind of her grief at all. And that just really resonated with me because I thought, um, like, it just really would have been interesting for me to see how she dealt with that. I mean, I've always said that I wanted a season six, but I, you know... I, I did want a season six when Arthur was alive, but 
if we couldn't have got that, I think a se- like I genuinely think that a season six without Arthur could have still worked if you really put your creative head behind it. And you know, maybe it would have been a chance for the ladies of Merlin to get, or at least Gwen, to get more of a a pivotal role, like a protagonist role, because she would have been the only monarch left, and she would have actually had a really interesting story arc. So you said some really interesting things about plot holes you basically said um oh gosh okay i I guess i'll just read the quote because i mentioned i hate plot holes and you said i understand how you uh, i understand how you feel frustration about plot holes and bad writing in the show and i feel it too sometimes but i think the reason i can enjoy everything in canon including plot holes is because of the plot holes actually i have a vivid imagination and when i bump into a plot hole in a show i really like I immediately start to imagine headcanons to fix it. It stimulates my imagination, and so BBC Merlin is perfect for that. I get like 10 fic ideas and headcanons for each episode I rewatch, and each time I talk about the show with my friend. So I really like that mentality, and I'm actually really happy for you that you can have that mentality, because I think that's really, really good. I admire the ability to to take plot holes at like face value and just make up your own headcanon for them like that's that's an incredible gift i'm i'm super jealous of it you see plot holes as opportunities rather than like you see them as a feature not a bug it doesn't work for me most of the time personally like if there is a plot hole that never gets explained it just bothers me because then i feel like the writers didn't care enough fans get to fill the plot holes but I act that sometimes actually it's a bit of a double-edged sword for me because what you end up getting in that situation is when you have a plot hole say of um something to do with a character's backstory as an example now what that ends up doing is creating a vacuum for fans to go in and create headcanons which I've seen this happen in other fandoms where a particular character has got so much headcanon written about them that isn't actually supported by canon but people end up considering it canon and then it becomes a very very toxic atmosphere where you have people disagreeing over a character's meta because there's no actual evidence for it in canon because they didn't bother to write it i'm just gonna really quickly go through um what real success said about Nimway, basically they're talking because I made a comment in the Poison Chalice episode about how um, the plan that Nimway had was just really convoluted and had a lot of risks and stuff in it. Um, and real life success has just basically said that, you know, with the whole plot hole thing, you know, like it's nice that like, they've come up with this theory. But what if for some reason Nimway can't hurt Uther directly for some reason? Maybe he put some kind of like, you know, um like he's protected in some way like she can't seem to ever actually hurt him directly she can only go after other things like she tries to go after Merlin and Arthur and then she tries to poison the water in Camelot from afar and she never can seem like you know she could probably find a million ways to directly kill him and she doesn't and I just found that fascinating and now I wish that had actually happened in the show because it would have made her a much more interesting villain if that had happened in Merlin I would have been completely on board with it but it didn't you mentioned real life the scene between Gaius and the dragon and how shit and that and like how shady he is which is right and how much of his storyline is kind of you know you know um hinted 
to us there. But I will say, I think uh, you have a translation error in the French version because you said that when Gaia says, oh, you know, um, what should be done about the boy? And uh, the the dragon says, oh, um, then run away. That's what you do best. That's what you said is in the French version. But the actual line is then turn a blind eye. That's what you do best, which is completely a different like sentiment altogether, in my opinion. Like those are two completely different ideas. It would be really great if you came on the podcast, uh, real life, uh, to talk about Gaius when we do his episode, which we are going to record in July, by the way. So, you know, maybe look at your calendar and let us know if you're free to record an episode in, on Gaius and Uther, because that'd be great to have you on the podcast with us since you like the characters so much. So let's move on to the main topic of this week's episode, Morgana. So who is Morgana on BBC's Merlin? Well, in the beginning she's assumed to be the daughter of Gorlois and Vivienne. Morgana is actually the daughter of Uther and Vivienne, not Gorlois and Vivienne. She came to live in Camelot as Uther's ward when she was a young girl. There was no specific age ever mentioned. Like it's, I'm assuming it's when she was a young girl and when, like, after her parents died. She has what is to be assumed her half sister called Morgos, which actually we have discussed in the episode that never was recorded. In the end, um, is um, maybe you want to go into uh, Roxanne because you actually observed it. <laughs> I just like it completely went over my head for all these years but Morgana and Morgos aren't actually related Gaius calls her in the sins of the father he calls her her half sister and he links her to Morgos through the bracelet that was given to her which had the symbol of the house of Gorlois which would assume that Morgana and Morgos shared a father not a mother makes sense like if they had different mothers they'd be born in different places <laughs> um and uh Obviously, when that is proved to be otherwise, in that case, Morgos is the daughter of Gorlois, unless that was also a lie, and Morgana is the daughter of Uther, and they have different mothers. So they're actually not related at all. They're not sisters by blood, although, of course, they are very, very close and consider themselves sisters, which means everyone can feel free now to guilt-free write Morgana and Morgos fanfic. And I'm just really surprised this was never brought up in the crystal cave like not only is Morgana upset that Uther abandoned her like his paternal rights but that she's now like it's all been a lie I don't have any sisters <laughs> like okay so it's well I'm assuming this I don't know if this is fandom wide assumed but it's assumed that she's Arthur's age or maybe a little older so Katie uh was like Katie McGrath the actress was 25 during season one just to recap Bradley was also 25, Colin was a year younger, and Angel, who plays Gwen, was already 28, just to put it in perspective again. Um, yeah. Morgana is best friends with her maid, Gwen, or at least I assume that's what they're supposed to be from the way they interact with each other, especially in season one, that they are um, supposed to be close friends. She has a stereotypical sibling relationship with Arthur even before their family relation is revealed, which probably comes from them growing up together. I mean, would make sense. In the beginning, she's fond of Merlin, 
they might even have like a friendship that could have been a really close friendship like there are definitely scenes where you can infer a close friendship although I feel like they could have like as always I feel like the writers could have done a better job at showcasing that relationship between the two she possesses magic and the gift of the sight she was then corrupted by Morgos and her own fear of Uther, as well as growing as her growing hatred of Uther's actions against magic users. And then she turns fully against Arthur and Camelot between season two and three and becomes the show's main antagonist after her sister, well, sister, dies in early season four. So the Morgana in the legends, in the Arthurian legends, is slightly different. First of all, she's not called Morgana, she's called Morgan Le Fay. She's also known as Morgane, and then a couple other variations, although nearly not nearly as many as um, there were for Guinevere, to be fair. The name Morgan is probably derived from the Welsh name, I still don't know how to pronounce it properly, uh, Morcant. I'm gonna say more can't. It sound, doesn't sound as dirty as the other option. More meaning sea and can't meaning circle. So sea circle. Her name is sea circle. Great. <laughs> Which reminds me, wasn't um, Merlin also something like of the sea? I'm trying to remember now, but um, I don't. But I feel like this war there was also something like an element with sea in it. Geoffrey of Monmouth. He was the first one to mention her in relation to Avalon in his Vita Merlini, which is basically a biography of Merlin. And he actually made her a really great character. Like, she is the chief of nine magical queen sisters who are all capable of shapeshifting and flying, and they only use their powers for good. And in the legends, she carried, like in, in Geoffrey of Monmouth's uh, Vita Merlini, she carried Arthur to Avalon after he was deadly wounded. And she's also the one who used her healing powers to save Arthur and put him to sleep. So, you know, original Morgana, or Morgan, great character. Good, good gal. <laughs> but then her family history gets even more complicated as the legends evolve. Um, like, even more complicated than they are on BBC's Merlin. But there are also a lot of variations. Like, sometimes she's said to be the daughter of... Ygraine and uh, Golois. Uh, in this scenario, Golois was Ygraine's first husband, and then Uther came after him, like, probably killed him and then married Ygraine. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that, that's what he I did, don't right? remember. I don't think. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't either. <laughs> I'm making assumptions. Don't take my word as, as gospel truth, please. In some versions, she's unhappily married to a lad called Urien, who also has a horrible name. She has a son called Ewain and is Merlin's apprentice. She is usually described as wanton and sexually aggressive because, of course, that's the mark of an evil woman. She likes sex as much as men do. And then, when Lancelot gets popped into the story by the French, apparently she's in love with both him and Merlin, and since she can't have either one, she's angry, or something like that. Like, that's just typical defaming of female characters. So, in, in most legends, or most versions of the legends, she's somehow instrumental in Arthur's downfall. 
but mostly indirectly. And usually they do reconcile in the end. And like said before, she's one of the magical queens who are supposed to wake him from his sleep once Arthur is set to return. And in the more modern interpretations of a character, she's almost always associated with Mordred in some way, either as his mother or in some other way, which usually means lover. <laughs> so initially she's a kind and compassionate character. Like she she is willing to protect and help the people that she perceives as innocent. Like like we said, she helps Mordred in season one. She makes a point of stealing food from the castle or like well, telling Gwen to steal food from the castle so they can give it to the starving people in the lower town when the whole thing with the unicorn went down. So, you know, she's uh, she's kind and compassionate and, and she wants to help people. Season one, Morgana is a very Elphaba-like a character. And for those of you that don't know anything about Wicked or Elphaba, she's the Wicked Witch of the West. But we meet her before she becomes the Wicked Witch of the West and she just happens to have a green skin. She's actually an activist and uh, really, really passionate about her cause. And what ends up happening is the thing that she's really passionate about uh, she doesn't realize is actually shrouded in a lot of um, political corruption. And so she gets herself into a bit of a mess because she tries to go and change this thing that she feels passionate about and then uncovers all this corruption when she goes to the Emerald City. And because she's uncovered it all, they obviously can't have that. So they uh, do, um, uh, uh, I think they... They do some really horrible things to these monkeys. I'm I'm just trying to remember now. It's been a while since I've seen it and this stuff isn't on the soundtrack. <laughs> um they they like do some horrible things to these monkeys and then um they go out into the into the into the society and proclaim that it was her that did it and that she's an evil wicked witch and to not trust her. So they basically just put out all this anti alphabet propaganda and she's still trying to do the right thing and eventually because everything she ends up doing backfires against her she has this amazing song called no good deed where she basically says no good deed goes unpunished um so you know um fine if that's how you guys are going to be and if everything i try and do is going to backfire against me i'll be the wicked witch you want i'll be evil i'll play along and so she fully becomes alphaba and um but she's never really a bad person and uh, it's basically the product of her society turning her um, to doing really bad things. And I think because Morgana was such a, a compassionate moral character to begin with, with, with issues, <laughs> that would have been a, a better arc for her. Um, and what they did doesn't work. It works with Uther, like her hatred of Uther. But as we'll discuss when we get into the show meta, it just doesn't work with the rest of the characters. It just doesn't. So... She's also fiercely loyal to her friends, regardless of station, shown by how she goes with Merlin to Ealdor to help him, even before Arthur does. Because And then she explains to Gwen, like she and Gwen talk about why Arthur came to help them, and Morgana is like, well, same reason we are, because of Merlin. So, you know... The friendship means something to her and she's she was always going to help Merlin in his hour of need. She is also competitive. She doesn't take shit from anyone, not even Uther. Like she will talk back to him and, and give him 
a piece of her mind and tell him how she really feels about a lot of things. Like, she will easily defend, like, well, maybe not easily, but she will readily defend Gwen when Gwen is accused of sorcery for the first time. Um, she will stand up to Uther for what she thinks is the right thing to do. And also because she is fiercely loyal to her friends. Um, and then as her magical abilities fester, she becomes more frightened of what she can do and what consequences that may have for her. Like the, there is a scene where she uh, where she worries about Uther finding out and what he might do to her. And then she's even once she's on the verge of telling him and then she backtracks because she's too afraid of the consequences of, of finding out that Uther might actually hate her if he ever finds out that she has magic. So, but that fear and that uncertainty of her own powers and her own future makes her an easy target for those who are trying to use her against Uther, like Torin in at the end towards the end of season one, and then Alvar, who is this weird sort of kind of love interest they are trying to hoist on us um in season two, and then of course you have Mogos. Mogos is the one who gives her stability and confidence just basically by by showing her kindness honestly in the beginning it's like perfect stockholm syndrome <laughs> textbook like like morgana is so distraught by her nightmares and everything and then mogos shows up literally a knight in shining armor <laughs> And talks to her like a normal person, shows her kindness and gives her the bracelet that lets her sleep in peace. And then Mogos also whisks her away uh, and, and talks to, or like talks to her and, and reassures her that what she's feeling is valid and that Uther really is terrible and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, so it's it's really easy for Mogos to influence Morgana at this point because Morgana is so vulnerable and, and isolated. Between season two and three is when Morgana does a complete like like complete turn as far as her personality goes, I feel like. Because in season one she couldn't bear to see people dying, to see people executed to see people starving or anything you know she she would go to lengths to protect people and to tell uther to stop killing everyone basically like unless they were evil people like the like the bandits who were raiding yelder i mean those fuckers could die definitely because they were bad people but you know innocent people or good people you know they didn't deserve to die they deserve to be saved and then in season three especially towards the end, she has no problem watching other people die or even killing them herself. Like, even innocent bystanders, not just the people she considers her enemies. You know, she makes a point of sh uh, having her soldiers shoot, like, townspeople instead of the knights, just to torture the knights. A lot of her important development happens off-screen between season 2 and 3, and then again between season four and five and we only see the result of her spending a year with mogos on the isle of the blessed learning magic and i mean i'm assuming that's where they went 
because where else would Morgos go, you know? Um, but Morgos has been teaching Morgana magic, has been giving her more confidence, has been filling her ear with all this, you know, Merlin is a bad boy, he tried to poison you, Uther is evil anyway, Arthur probably is terrible as well, he probably kicks puppies, think about that, Morgana, he kicks puppies! <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, that's what happened in that year, right? I can make up what I want because we were never told. Exactly. <laughs> that just leads back to what we were saying earlier. And that's why the discourse about Morgana is very frustrating in fandom because you can make up and defend anything you want about her. We will never know how much influence Morgos had on her and we will never know how much of it was her own festering anger and that's why defending or not defending Morgana post season three is very difficult because yeah it's just like well it's impossible basically because you just don't know what's happened to her or if you do it's barely mentioned and it's just very 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 frustrating yeah and then again the the three-year gap between season four and five, about which I've complained at length uh, on other character and, and uh, theme episodes. But, like, I feel it's even worse for Morgana's character because so much happened to her between season four and five that we only learn f uh, about in passing during the fifth season. Like, there, there are a bunch of, like, or not even a bunch, like, a handful of short flashbacks of her being uh, locked into this prison cell with Ithusa, and then there's this thing where the Serum himself talks about how he captured and imprisoned Morgana and Ithusa, and Morgana tells Gwen about it. And, like, I mean, we know about it because, you know, it has been mentioned, but I feel like so much happened to Morgana, it has shaped her character, or it must have shaped her character so much if she's having nightmares about it years later still and we don't even know how long she has been escaped from that torture by the beginning of season five as far as much as we know it could have happened like two weeks earlier that she escaped you know we we just we don't know how long she's been there when she was taken if it was like right at the end of season four when she was still injured or if it was any time between those three years, how long she's been there, how long she's been out. It's just so much potential lost. Another thing that is really different about Morgana in the BBC show from how she is in the Legends is that Morgana of BBC never gets to redeem herself before her death. While in the Legends, there often is a way for her to redeem herself where she like in in the moments of dying like of Arthur's dying like they make peace and then she carries him to Avalon where he will sleep until he's ready to return or any variation thereof while in BBC's Merlin Merlin kills her in front of Arthur <laughs> and that's the end of it like she never she never redeemed herself. She was angry and unhateful until the very end. And that's that's it for Morgana. That literally is how it ended for her. 
which I hate and which I love fanfic writers for um, making it a point to, you know, if there are like reincarnation or return stories uh, where they try to give Morgana the redemption the show never gave her. That like comment from Real Life Sucks Ass was like so relevant for this character arc and we didn't even realize it. <laughs> Like the whole thing about the plot, plot holes. holes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the first thing that I really like uh about the way that Morgana is introduced is that we don't actually have a dialogue scene with her first. We just have like a tiny little story beat where the execution is happening and she turns away, she's separate from it, she's in her bedroom, she's not actually, you know, down um uh, on the balcony. And for me, that tells me everything I need to know about her straight away, that, you know, she doesn't agree with this and she's not involved in this. And that, for me, is something I really, really like about the way that she's introduced. Also, how terrible must it be that your own private space, your bedroom, is, like, in direct sight of where all these executions happen? Like, the only way for her to avoid associating her bedroom with the executions is by not being in it during the execution but at the same time during them she probably seeks comfort in a place that is comfortable like offers comfort to her and just i'm i'm just i'm i just realized that as you were as you were talking about it how her bedroom window is down to the courtyard where the executions happen and either she has to stand in her bedroom and hear it or watch it and it just that's ter like even if she didn't want to see it she would still hear it if she were in her room and the only way for her to avoid it completely would be to not be in her room but where else would she go you know uh, okay move on <laughs> that's horrible um so the first dialogue scene that she has is actually with Uther, which this is just going to be kind of, uh, I'm not going to go on a massive tangent here, but I think that it's very fascinating the relationship that the show gave with them. And in my opinion, it's actually one of the best written relationships on the show, bar Merlin and Arthur. Um, and I think that it's very weird, though, that they gave them this uh, close uh, relationship and is a pivotal part of her story arc because as far as I'm aware in the legend, she doesn't have much to do with Uther. It's mostly her relationship with Arthur and obviously the whole incestual thing, which, you know, isn't, isn't uh, uh, happening here necessarily, but, you know, um, we have a really great scene between them, which is, I mean, the dialogue's a bit on the nose, but whatever, it's 2008, you know? <laughs> and like, um, you know, again, it's just kind of solidifying, the distance between them like it's just brilliant you know i told you i want no part in this i'm your guardian i expect you to do as i ask like and then as he's walking away she says you know the more um the more brutal you are the more enemies you'll create and it just creates the perfect like start to their relationship and why they end up having so many problems because they're just on completely two different spectrums you know uther sees magic uses as evil and morgana doesn't and it's just brilliant way to start it off um and leading on from that i think that as amazing as their relationship is it did arthur and morgana's relationship a disservice because we see arthur and morgana basically a team 
in season one. Um, they are very much a team and they're very much on the same page. And Morgana is an excellent influence on Arthur and supports him in everything that he does. So for me, um, you don't really have any way to bounce back from that. Now, what they could have done is just made Arthur and Morgana's relationship more like Morgana and Uther's. They don't hate each other in the beginning. You know, they have really good scenes together. There are moments where they comfort each other. You know, like, it's not like they're enemies. They just don't have a great relationship because they just see ideologically things differently. That's what you should have played with. If Arthur and Morgana had gotten on but but had different ideals um, and then those ideals are the things that end up driving them apart and turning them to hate each other, it would have been so much better because instead what you have is Morgana turning against Uther, which narratively is completely valid as much as it hurts me because I love their relationship. But because she doesn't have a bad relationship with anybody else in the show, her turning against Gwen and against Arthur is is ridiculous. And um, it also kind of makes Arthur's point in it. Like, So, for example, he has a line in season five saying to um, the Sarum, I think is his name, uh, well, me and you have a shared hatred of Morgana, which I find amazing because there's, I mean, she's doing bad things and stuff, but Arthur has no reason to hate Morgana as a person. He just, and he, he's actually been shown to be more confused about the things that she's doing as opposed to outright understanding her and like labeling her as his villain because of it. That's not really the same. Like you can't have someone you know, he sits around saying, how could you do this to us? And even in season four, what happened to you, Morgana? And you like, that's not the same as having an enemy. That's just so, like you're he's not a proactive person in this relationship. He's just reacting to everything she's throwing at him, which what she's throwing at him also doesn't make any sense because she doesn't have any reason to dislike Arthur for anything. <laughs> um so and that's like not me trying to be picky like I can't think of a single thing that she could have beef with him over like she wants to become queen all of a sudden in season three which comes out of left field and is Morgoza's idea and she doesn't care about it all she cares about is the fact that Uther abandoned her because she has an abandonment complex and she's a lonely character which makes sense and makes sense for her to want to kill him but not to kill Arthur so the whole thing is that is the only problem in Morgana's arc is her not having a good enough reason to hate the other characters apart from Uther and Merlin. And even Merlin's connection is tenuous. I'll get to that later. But just, um, you know, her and Uther's relationship is brilliantly written as much as it hurts me. Morgana's magic introduction in season one and then into season two, I love I love the way that it's portrayed. I lo uh, I've said it before when we did the Valiant episode, but I love how it's just kind of hinted and teased out and it's not really explicitly said that she has magic. Um, and I've said this in the previous Morgana recording that I never read, but in my opinion, I think that the beginning of the end should have uh, come before the Gates of Avalon because for me, I just would have preferred to have the Gates of Avalon followed by Excalibur because you know she kind of is having her visions of the sight sorry her sight stuff happening in those two episodes and I think they would have been more interesting if they were back to back whereas I would have preferred to see her being linked to a magic user before we actually see her using it so I would have preferred to see her 
having the psychic link with Mordred and being like, hmm, maybe she's got a connection to the Druids, and then having an actual premonition. Because we've seen her having little flashes of something, something like earlier on, but they weren't explicitly a premonition about something she could have had no knowledge over. We've seen her have nightmares about Arthur getting hurt in the battle, but not about anything that, like, you know, a completely new person arriving in Camelot. So I would have preferred that later, just personally. But um, I love the way that it's slowly introduced, and I love the way that we kind of see her attitude change a little bit, you know, that maybe magic isn't, you know, maybe magic chooses you. Just all of that, I think, is wonderful, and it really starts to create a bond between Merlin and Morgana, which I love. And then the way that that kind of starts to descend more into terror as we get into season two, I just love... I love, I think, so the the Nightmare Begins is probably the best that Katie's ever been in the show. I think her scenes with her and Colin are just incredible. And I've said this before, but I think he brings out the best in her in terms of um, her acting ability. I think that when she's in a scene with him, she really steps it up because obviously he's amazing. And like, you know, I, God, if I don't feel for her in those moments where she's just in her nightgown her hair's a mess she's been crying she's so terrified she can't sleep I think it's just wonderful and I love how it continues even into into the witch finder moments the only thing I have a problem with about season two the way they handled her magic stuff is that it's a little bit inconsistent you have us you have episodes like the beauty and the beast uh, storyline where she seems perfectly content stress-free and then we have the witch finder episode where iridium comes which i get like that would have caused her anxiety but i mean i would have just liked a little bit more consistency specifically since we've seen she can't control her magic in nightmare begins that's now officially canon and yet when we see her in lancelot and guinevere where her life is at stake nothing spontaneously seems to happen almost as if it wasn't relevant to the plot (laughs) So basically her kind of um, descent into becoming Uther's enemy, I I probably should have said this earlier, but I love the fact that it's in defense of Gwen. Uh, That's really the first time that we properly see them argue and disagree about something concrete is when she's coming to her defense in in the Mark of Nimue, which I love. And then uh, the next time that she's properly becoming his enemy and then trying to... um, uh, find a way to kill him is also in defense of Gwen when she is um when uh when uh, her father is killed uh trying to escape. I just think that's really wonderful. I love that so many of her storylines are tied up with Gwen's storylines in the earlier seasons because it just gives them more to do as like women on the show, and I really appreciate that. Um, and they just work so well off of one another. I think they're really lovely. Like in To Kill the King, like I just love their scenes together. Um, so um. Yeah, and just to quickly touch again upon To Kill the King, you know, again, when she's in the cell and Arthur comes to let her out, you know, she says, you're a better man than your father, you always were. So again, it just... I don't understand what they were going for here because they knew where they wanted Morgana to go. So why did they work so well to create such a watertight relationship between Arthur and Morgana where we don't doubt for a second that they'll always be there for one another? They're just at, like... I mean, can you think of anything? Because I can't. Like, why would they do it so well and then have no way to (laughs) unravel that? I don't know. Like, it just, it's silly. Um, 
season two Morgana more so because I feel like season one Morgana is really independent and strong with some moments of weakness and then season two Morgana kind of is a bit of a mess emotionally which I really love and I love that we start to see the cracks in her confidence and how she's actually a really kind of emotionally starved person like you know Guy says I've always been there for Morgana but I have a feeling that you know, he doesn't really understand what being there for someone really means. So we don't really get to see what that means, even though he does comfort her and stuff. But, you know, I mean, she really is a latcher. Like, she latches on to people that show her comfort, like you said, Momo. And, you know, it completely makes sense that when Alvar comes along, I mean, you know, it's actually really kind of sweet, her whole thing with Mordred and how ready she is to protect him by the witch's quickening and how she's just like really happy when she sees him and it actually really warms my heart I wish I'd kind of played out that kid Mordred storyline a bit more and that could have been something to work with with the Arthur thing because if they'd like kept it going and if like they'd bonded more and more and then he comes back like maybe at 15 or something still played by Acer maybe and like he causes some trouble for Merlin because he's really mad at him. And then Arthur has to like put him in jail or something like, wouldn't that have been way more interesting for Arthur and Morgana? Like she actually has a reason to really dislike him about something. I don't know. Um, that would have been really cool. But the fact that, yeah, she latches onto Alvar. Um, she, you know, although I mean, I'm just going to mention this now seeing as that I'm thinking about it. I, really have an issue with the way that they wrote Merlin and Morgana's relationship here. And I have a lot of kind of uncomfortable feelings about fans that kind of perpetuate the idea that Merlin, like it was Merlin's responsibility to make sure Morgana didn't turn to the evil side. And that like what he says in the finale, I blame myself for what you've become, but this has to stop. I, it really causes me a lot of anger because when you look at what happens in canon in the nightmare begins he is also being low-key brainwashed by the dragon and by gaius to keep his magic a secret from everyone and i agree with them because you don't know who you can trust morgana seems really great but she is still arthur's you know kind of surrogate family and uther's ward and if I were Merlin, I would not be telling my secret to someone that is around Uther and is a little bit emotionally unstable right now and has been shown to have temper problems and violent tendencies by trying to kill him. In Mark of Nimue, at the end, when uh, Gwen is when Gwen's name is cleared and everything and they're all standing in the cell, Morgana says to Merlin... I know your secret. And Merlin, of course, thinks, oh God, she knows about the magic. And she's, you know, she's like, yeah, and it's completely fine and nothing to worry about. And, you know, and he lights up. He's like so glad someone knows and he can talk to someone about it. And then there's all, yeah, it's okay, you know, that you have feelings for Gwen. And that's when he realizes the misunderstanding. But in those precious few moments when he thinks that Morgana actually knows about the magic and is okay with it, he is just so relieved. That is, however, when he assumes that she will be okay with it, you know, which, you know, the decision 
was in his eyes taken out of his hands she found out by herself he thinks um and is okay with it and then later he has to make the decision himself to tell her or not tell her and he doesn't know how she would react but like in those precious i think that's where it comes from you know that in those few moments when he thought she she does know and she's okay with it and she's supportive of it that he would have someone to talk to and i think that's where the that's where the fans latched on and were like oh if only he had told her for real yeah i mean i only would argue against that because i think the merlin from mark of nimway is not the same merlin from the nightmare begins and merlin from the yeah and we have already talked at length about the immaturity of Merlin in those early episodes who all he wants is to tell people about his magic and even Arthur. He's like, oh, if Arthur knew who I was, and, and Guy's like, he'd be a dead servant. So he's just completely unaware of consequences. Even by Mark of Nimue, which I would argue season two is not his most jaded. Like when Arthur makes the joke about, you can't hide anything from me, Merlin, he just already looks exhausted because he knows that, yeah, I can't ever tell him. So I think, like, I get that that's where they would latch on to, but I just think that that scene is completely irrelevant in the grand scheme of things because so much has already happened. Not to mention Morgana hasn't been linked to Mordred yet. And the dragon tells him that that little boy is going to kill Arthur and that little boy is destined to walk hand in hand with Morgana. I wouldn't be in a hurry to tell her anything either. Now, the only thing that I will say about that is that People have latched on to that, like that being his choice, and have completely disregarded everything else that he did do for her. He went out of his way and put himself at risk to get in contact with somebody who knows where the druids live in the middle of like a raid. Um, he made the effort to make sure that Morgana found her way there and was in touch with people that would be able to help her and help her. They did. She, you know, if it had like if she hadn't been found, but she felt, you know, she even said to him, I don't want to leave. I don't feel alone here. Like, you know, they really made a big difference to her. And, you know, she reunited with Mordred. When she comes back to Camelot, she thanks him and she says, I'm sorry that I acted that way. And she says, you know, I now know who I am. Maybe one day magic will be seen as a force for good. And she seems content and happy about that. And because she knows that Merlin knows, he, you know, says, if there's anything you need... And I'm just like, you don't have any excuse, Morgana, for saying that Merlin was never there for you. Just because you didn't know his truth, it doesn't mean that he ever abandoned you. He did a lot more than Gaius did, and he did a lot more than any other character. And Morgos, you know, I mean, yeah, but Morgos never talked with her about magic. Like, Morgana just said, I haven't been sleeping well. And she, yeah, she, she gives her this bracelet, but... They never discussed magic like she did with Merlin. Like, she never confided in her until later. So I'm just like, for me, that argument is complete garbage. And the real reason for Morgana deciding to turn against Camelot is because she felt isolated from Uther and not be and being afraid that as soon as he finds out about her magic, that, you know, because basically what ends up happening is they, they're already at odds and Morgana 
discovers that she's a sorceress or that she has magic and she knows that that will permanently change her relationship with Uther that they are now completely on separate paths whatever that means and she lives in total fear of Uther finding out she's no longer afraid of her magic she's afraid of Uther finding out so as soon as Morgos arrives on the scene and says well why have you never killed him and she's like oh i don't know i guess he'd change blah 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 and she starts whispering in her ear all that anxiety she manages to bring to the surface but morgana has friends in camelot it's just that you know morgos picked the one spot where she's most scared which is uther murdering her and ran with it and i honestly think it has nothing to do with merlin and i stand by merlin's decision to poison her because he didn't have any other choice and morgana unfortunately however she might have been manipulated stood in front of Morgos and was given a choice will you stand with me and watch Uther fall or will you stand with him okay but Morgana I mean yes she wanted Uther to fall and to stand with Morgos she did not consent to being turned into a medium for a curse like that is that is entirely and like that is entirely on Morgos, who I will have said this in the past and I will say it again. Who, even when we assumed that she was a sister, like it was worse when we assumed when we assumed that she was actually Morgana's half sister. Now that we know she wasn't, uh, it's it's um probably I mean it's not as bad. It's still awful, but like Morgos definitely only saw Morgana as a pawn most of the time like maybe there has been some genuine affection there for for a little bit but like at most Morgana was a pawn for Morgos just like Senred was or maybe not just like Senred was but a lot like Senred was because the moment Morgana says I will stand with you Morgos is like all right let's curse you you know, uh, Magos just uses her for to her for her own ends time and time again, and it just ah, uh, <laughs> it just makes like in that moment, Morgana, like how she was like yes, she said I will stand with you, but the thing that happens directly after Morgana is blameless because she did not ask to be used. Like, she is so confused and frightened when Merlin and Arthur make it back to Camelot. Uh, she is so confused. She does not know what's going on. She doesn't understand anything, what's happening. And it's just, it breaks my heart. <laughs> Do you not get the impression, though, that she knows more than she's letting on? Because there's that scene when 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 Arthur says, Morgana, you must know something. And she looks to Merlin and she's kind of like, and Merlin's like eyeing her up being like, something's going on and i feel like because she know you know the one thing she does know is she went to Morgos and she spoke to Morgos about causing uther's downfall and now shit's happening like she's not a not intelligent character she knows that she's done something and she lied and she lied about it to arthur and instead of just you know i like i know that it wouldn't have helped her but instead of just coming out even to merlin and being like oh uh, like I did the stupid thing. She keeps it a secret and puts everyone's life at risk. And she is scared. Come on. I'm sure that the people that were innocently put to sleep and nearly killed were scared. I'm sure that you know. But it's like, 
I just feel like she's not stupid. And I think she, even though she was like confused and didn't know what was going on, I think she knew enough to know that she was the cause of it somehow because she was the only one not going to sleep. Like she's not an idiot. Like, so I'm just a bit like, even if she'd have gone to Merlin, like I would have literally been like completely on her side. If she'd at least gone to Merlin and said, I did this stupid thing. I shouldn't have done it. I can like, look at all that. This is, I didn't want this. I didn't want, you know, people to be at risk of dying my friends you and Arthur but she doesn't she keeps it to herself and she is shifty the entire episode once her panic dies down a bit like when they're in um when they're in Uther's uh chambers and she's like oh you're a really good friend like she's not scared there she's really like she knows that Merlin is suspicious of her and she knows that she needs to try and keep him on her side she's not you know like I don't know and this is even not accounting for everything that happened in the witch's quickening where she's already keeping secrets from Merlin and plotting against you know everything that's going to be happening and I just feel like I think that she is she's portrayed as much more naive than she really is in these latter season two episodes, because I don't think she really believes for one instance that Morgos only wants to go after Uther, because that's just the most naive thing I've ever heard. Of course, Morgos wants to, you know, Morgana was around when Nimue tried to like attack Hamlet. She didn't just go for Uther. I just think that it's, it's a very convenient excuse to say that Morgana was completely unaware of what she was doing. And even though she should not have been used as the vessel for the curse, and I really, really hate that, I just think that once that happened, she had a million ways in which to try and put things right, because I don't think that she just didn't understand anything, because why would she be the only one not going to sleep after she'd just gone to meet Morgos in the dark woods, like, in secret? I just don't know. I just feel like... I just don't think she's that dumb, but I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I don't think. And what I do like, though, is that I think where what we could have had a really cool, cool thing happen in season three, because what what really irks me is the fact that Merlin feels guilty for this. Now, I get that he tried to kill her and stuff, but, you know, he even though he hated doing it, I think it's really unfair that then basically the show takes that concept and runs with it. Like you poisoned her. You are the reason she is now like this, which is just garbage. And then what I wish had happened was that he stood more towards his own saying, I try to save my friends. I try to save Camelot. You chose more goes. And for them to actually have a reason to bicker, because what ends up happening is she comes back to Camelot and he's all apologetic, please forgive me, and she pretends to, and then she brings up the poisoning thing over and over again, and he doesn't respond to it, as if him poisoning her out of the, you know, for the greater good to save everybody else is comparable to her murdering innocent people when she comes back. I'm just like... How can you possibly not have him stand up for himself? That that does irk me. And then to have his last words to her be, I blame myself for what you've become. No, you can blame all Goes and Senred and borderline Uther for what she's become. But it's not Merlin's fault. I don't know. It's just, I just think that that's just narratively dishonest to say that Merlin had a part in Morgana actually becoming evil when all he was trying to do was save innocent lives. I don't know. Like, maybe that's just me. All right, uh, do we want to discuss <laughs> season four? <laughs> because it's just, I mean, why is Agravain there? 
Why is Agravain in love with Morgana? What is her deal with Agravain? And just nothing about season four Morgana makes sense to me. Or what? I don't know. Do, do you want to try and explain it for me? No. No. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah. I'm just a bit like very, very confused. I mean, I think we've kind of already said that season four is really, really confusing in general. But basically the worst thing about season four is they're just borrowing from the trope they used from season three about Morgana being hungry for the throne which is stupid and doesn't make sense for her character because she doesn't care about power. But okay. Um, and I've written here that I just find it very confusing about Agravain. Um, basically, like, I mean, this has not much to do with Morgana as a character, but why is he in love with her when surely if he would have been around a court when Agrain was alive... And then maybe shortly after her death, he would have probably met Morgana at some point when she was little, which is just like really, really strange. Um, so, I mean, I think at least season three, evil Morgana has some kind of substance to her because she has that vendetta against Uther. And the only kind of light that we see behind her eyes throughout any of season four stuff is when Uther dies and she has that moment where she like feels that he that he left which i i really like that we start to see a bit more of her humanity there because like we just don't see it at all throughout anything else and like even season three i mean i do appreciate those moments where you know she has those moments of humanity where she says to merlin you know you don't understand how this feels you understand or when she sees that Morgos is okay and she survived the the falling of the rubble and she hugs her you know like as much as i think Morgos is a questionable character i love that Morgana's kind of the biggest relationship in Morgana's life ended up being with another woman I think that is really wonderful for her as a character and I do at least appreciate that because of Morgos we got to see the humanity in evil Morgana but then when she's gone we just we just don't see it again apart from maybe like when she has that line about having no one left to be loyal to which again um really upsets me because when Morgana comes back and Merlin realizes that she's evil he goes to her and says we can find another way it doesn't have to be like this so Morgana had friends in Camelot and I just really wish that that had been like maybe they needed to put more emphasis upon how much Morgos was manipulating her because as is in the show yeah because you don't see it like anything goes like we don't see her manipulating her on screen so we don't know that that's what happened off screen so it's like all we see is just Morgana making decisions that have nothing to do with the way people treat her which is just very nicely everyone is so happy to have her back and it's like I'm just I don't understand what could have possibly happened in a year that would have just turned her so cold against Gwen against you know I just it makes me really sad um and like season five um like I just think they were basically going with like an actually like insane kind of villain in this season because I think I think she's just meant to be mentally unstable by now like that was my take on it like with all of her kind of rants about like wanting to see Arthur dead and the crows feasting on his eyeballs and like by the end of the 
like thing where she's sitting in that throne and she's just screaming, I want him dead, which is an amazing bit, by the way. And like her just choking people with her mind, like Darth Vader. Like, I, um, definitely not the same evil Morgana that we had in season three. It's <laughs> just crazy. And like Mordred going, Morgana calm yourself it's probably one of my favorite moments to have come out of this show (laughs) because it's just so crazy it makes me really upset because i just think morgana from season one and two is such an incredible female character and um instead of using the character traits from her that you know were there like the bad temper and the wanting to do the right thing at all costs and really fiercely stubborn would have been enough to carry her through a a villain arc. And instead what we got was just kind of bits of plot picked out, like just like a dart thrown at the wheel of plots of, oh, I guess we'll kind of blame Merlin a bit and then we'll have this like love story arc in episode 11 and then he dies and that's the reason why she finally goes to more goes and and then we won't see her for a year just nothing to do with anything and like she could have been such a a good villain she's not even that good at magic either like she's just yeah um what would you have liked for her like as an arc because i really think that the whole mordred thing would have been great actually like to have him be more of a consistent kid character and then have arthur like arrest him for something and then have her turn on arthur i think that would have been really good i would have been okay with the arc they have given her if they had explained it better i would have been okay with her being the character that she became if they had explained it better but they didn't (laughs) they really didn't and they in like in Season three, she is basically a caricature of a villain. Like, watch season three and count how often Morgana is on screen and how many of those times she is smirking evilly. Like, they will be almost the same number. <laughs> Honestly. Um, like, season three, Morgana is just... I don't, I don't understand, like, I can, I suppose I can, if I really think about it and rewatch it, I can maybe sort of understand season four Morgana, but season three Morgana is the one who really confuses me, because that was really the 180 turn in the span of a year from kind, compassionate character who loves her friends, who is loyal to her friends, and who stands up for innocent people to I don't fucking care, let them all die, Morgana. You know, and just... And the other thing I really would have liked because everything else is just doing the Morgana from the Legends injustice is some kind of redemption towards the end. Like, I don't understand why they... why they didn't give her that moment where she reconciles with Arthur or even just Merlin. I just think it went too far. Like, like I said, I think she was just legitimately insane by the end. Like she stands with Arthur when he's dying and says, it's okay. I'll stay with you until, and until you're 
body starts to rot. Like, jeez. Like, I don't, like, I just think they got bored with her as a character, to be honest with you. Like, they were really excited about making her evil. They messed that up anyway. And then it was just a load of nothing. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of really shocked because there was so much other stuff they could have done with her and this is what they chose. Like, you know, at least with Gwen, even though I'm really sad for her as well, Gwen didn't have much to begin with. Like, Gwen didn't really have a personality outside of her relationships with men. Gwen didn't have anything apart from seeing... Yeah, like, she didn't have anything else because her dad was barely in it and then he died in season one whereas Morgana had her conflict with Uther she had her relationship with Arthur she had her relationship with Mordred that was complicated for her she had her friendship with Gwen she had her kind of blossoming friendship with Merlin and you know whether you want to read that as romantic or what again it's very weird because usually they're very on the nose with whether something's romantic or not whereas with this one I feel like they kind of really played with that edge but Season one, I'd say, that definitely friends, which is nice. And, you know, Gwen didn't have any of that. So I feel like where her character kind of like suffered, it wasn't really um, that surprising, like by the end, because like, and actually they kind of gave her more to do at the end, like with running the kingdom and with Morgana, there was so much to begin with that she had. And, and then they just didn't, they just didn't use it. And yeah, like you said, they just made her into a cartoon. Um like living in a hovel <laughs> like it's just so bizarre if anybody listening to this because po- i know this show back to front if anybody in this podcast could give me any logical reason for morgana to hate arthur and gwen pre-crystal cave give me that reason because morgana is already cruel to gwen by like all- already she okay but what what reason would she have after crystal cave oh sorry okay well with with gwen i meant queen of hearts then sorry with gwen i meant queen of hearts yeah um even okay in queen queen of hearts it's like because she sees her being queen Queen, yeah which is an equally stupid well which is the identical reason to why she hates arthur it's just now oh i hate his his future wife too so it's just like yeah I just really like I wouldn't have even minded season three if maybe they'd at least had scenes of her being really like torn about like having to hurt the others. Like maybe have like a moment where she sees Gwen like in the hospital wing uh, during the Tears of Uther Pendragon or seeing Arthur out fighting and kind of having like a conflicted look on her face and then maybe having a scene with more ghosts being like oh but they're my friends like I don't know because at this point I'm not entirely sure what her end goal is because she doesn't know that she's Uther's daughter so she's gonna come and kill Uther and then Arthur will be king and then and then what like what's what does she want to do from there (laughs) like it's just very like, she has no motivation other than to kill Uther, but then what does she, like, she still hates everyone, so what's she gonna do? Yeah, well, that's because, you know, more goes. 
That's because Morgos. It's Morgos's goal to kill Uther. For whatever reason. Because it's Uther. You know? And like... And I don't think Morgos even has that much of a plan for what to do beyond killing Uther. And then just finding out that Morgana has whatever minimal claim on the throne because she's actually Uther's natural daughter. It's like, ooh, now I know finally what to do once Uther is dead. We'll put Morgana on the throne. Oh, wait, there's still Arthur in the way. Okay, let's kill Arthur too. <laughs> yeah it's just like that's that's how it went i've never really thought about it until like, even when we did the last morgana recording i never thought about what morgana was planning once uther was out of the picture because if we'd had her feeling really sympathetic towards the others i would have completely understood her wanting uther out of the picture so that camelot could be prosperous under arthur but that's not what she seems to be thinking so what does she actually want I just, I don't understand how these story meetings went, Momo. I really don't. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rosa. I just don't. Maybe we can find you a time machine and let you talk to them. Well, if anybody wants to add anything, because I mean, I think we covered quite a lot, but I just don't want anyone to think that I, because I, I love Morgana, and the reason why I love her is that I wanted something better for her, because I love villains, like, and I love villain redemption arcs, so... If it that had been done, she probably would have been like my favorite character on this show. Let's talk a little about Morgana and Fanworks, which is hopefully going to cheer us up a little bit. <laughs> so, Morgana and Fanworks, I'm I've accumulated as usual the the stereotypical things that I've that I've personally observed about her character in Fanworks. Like, for example, she often will be employed in the family business, sometimes as Arthur's rival for the position of CEO or whatever. She is sometimes an independent businesswoman in an entirely different field from Arthur, just, you know, for variety's sake. It often depends on how much the author likes Canon Morgana, what she is like. She'll, she'll be his rival who is threatening his, like, Arthur's claim to the family business if the author doesn't like Morgana or doesn't, like, wants her to be uh, evil or whatever. And if they don't want her to be evil but a good character, then she is a rival but a good-natured one or she is just in a completely different field so that she can't even be a rival in any way. So... In canon, then in in canon fic, um, there's also like the the divide between authors who want to stay true to canon or those who basically ignore canon. Like either you have Morgana who never turns evil and instead becomes a close ally or advisor to Arthur and or Merlin, usually accompanied by a magic reveal. Or she goes the canon path and is rarely mentioned. Like, I mean, it depends on where the focus of the fic lies and me being a Mirtha reader predominantly, you know, and someone who doesn't read much canon in the first place. 
uh, the few fakes that are canon fakes where this is a story or like a plot point, she will only be mentioned as like the antagonist who isn't there or, you know, who's like a background threat. But there's not really any stories that I've read because I don't go looking for these stories. I'm sure they exist where there's an actual battle between Camelot and Morgana happening. So that's just what I'm what I'm observing. And of course there are also the fics that were written before season three where you know she just never turned evil because that's not how people thought the story would go. Yeah, that was my fic and I just ignored well, I just fixed Fires of Edith Showless and then I just took it from there. <laughs> I mean I remember once reading or probably listening to one which is more likely that I listen to a podcast but I can't remember the the title or anything about it except this one part where like um it's I think it's from Merlin's point of view and he's like talking to Arthur and Arthur is like listen you can't sneak into Morgana's room in the middle of the night it's not proper and Merlin reflects on how he and Morgana weren't doing anything inappropriate the way Arthur thinks they were practicing scrying for example they were practicing magic together because in this story um which is definitely set after season one but maybe not after like in the high ages between season one and two probably um that you know there had been a magic reveal of some kind of Merlin and Morgana were the best of friends who were practicing magic together and then Arthur got kind of jealous because Merlin was spending all his time with Morgana um yeah, if I ever remember what the story was called, I will I will put it in the links of this episode. So yeah, some, some common characterizations for Morgana is of course she is feisty and argues a lot. <laughs> that's her that's her Camelot night name, Sir Argues a lot. Or in her case, um Dame argues a lot. Um she will tell Arthur where to shove it when he gets when he gets annoying, like in all the things, she is the one who tells Arthur not to be an idiot. She is usually best friends with Gwen because, naturally, <laughs> that's what we, you know, that's what we hear for their friendship or relationship. If it's a a more Gwen story, there are, a lot, there are quite a few of them. And there is always a complicated family dynamic, even before the show's complicated fam- family dynamic became known because that's just Morgana in the legends and then again depending on whether the fic was written before or after season three she's either Arthur's cousin his foster sister or his actual sister so there are a few love interests that I could think of and I just listed them in the order that they came to me and then I realized that the AO3 stats only partially back me up on them so what I thought would be most common love interest for Morgana would be Arthur, Gwen, Mordred, Leon, Gwen, Merlin, or any of the other ladies that show up in Merlin, like Mythian, Vivian, Elena, Freya, Sophia. I've seen I've seen her with any of those in fix before. So I know I know you rocks like her with Arthur. Yeah, but I feel like this low number stems mostly from the fact that 
the majority of their interactions were season one because season two they had like one scene together and then by season three they were already brother and sister so i think that's where that stems from whereas merlin and morgana had a lot of influx in like the whole hate trope they were like oh like they hate each other they need to like get it on kind of thing so that's where that number comes from for sure so yeah um the AO3 stats that I took at the, on the 23rd of January 2018, I apologize for not updating them in the last couple of weeks, but I've been busy doing other things and I figured that they probably wouldn't be looking that much different from today. So in January there were 6,054 works tagged with the character tag from Morgana, which is Morgana and then, you know, um, Merlin in parenthesis. Because, again, we've said this before, when there's the parenthesis Merlin qualifier, it's specifically for BBC's Merlin and not the the Legends version or any other version of this character specifically and then the top five ships on AO3 for Morgana are actually Merlin Morgana with just un with just 936 works then Gwen Morgana with 931 works Leon and Morgana is in third place with only 383 works then there's Morgana and Morgos and in fifth place is Morgana and Arthur so that's that's what rocks meant. Morgana and Arthur Pendragon only has 233 works, while Merlin and Morgana has 700 more. So yeah, yeah. plus you know, I feel like I mean they they the, the writers tried to do the whole Morgana Arthur rivalry thing after season three, but this was pretty one sided. <laughs> while Merlin Morgana. Um, enmity was very much uh, mutual. Like Merlin regarded Morgana as his enemy, and Morgana regarded Merlin as her enemy, even though she didn't know he's Emrys. But you know, <laughs> that's just that's where this come from. It's it's enemies to lovers. So yeah, there are some other Morgana ships. Like I know some people, myself included, like Gwen Morgana, despite their like, they barely have any interaction in canon except for when she tortures him, but, you know, <laughs> that makes for good stories. <laughs> they had, um, in January, they had 148 works posted to their to their ship. There's also, for anyone interested, Morgana and Uther Pendragon had 51 works posted. And then, of course, the OT3 of Merlin, Morgana, and Arthur, they had only 28 works. So, you know... There are a few more, like like I said, uh, Morgana with a bunch of ladies, because that's another popular thing, at least in modern AUs that I've observed. Morgana will often be a lesbian, <clears throat> or sometimes or bisexual. Like she'll, although no, to be fair, usually she's either a lesbian or aggressively heterosexual. Like, yeah, like she's either straight or gay. She's rarely anything else. This brings us to recommendations. And the good thing coming out of this being recorded again four weeks later is that I have one more rec than I did last time. So 
<laughs> now I have four instead of three. So there are four figs. The first one is called We're Storm in Somebody Else's Teacup. It was written by a paperclip bitch and pot faked by a Twilight Angel. It's rated teen and up. It is 89,000 words long. The pot fig is about 11 hours long. And there are various relationships. And I think it's actually from Merlin's point of view. Um, but Morgana plays a really important central role in the story. Which is why I picked this story for a recommendation in this podcast. The summary for this story is... In which Merlin and Morgana meet at a support group for people with superpowers and accidentally start a chain of events that nearly destroys the world. The story is less cracky than it sounds, <laughs> to be honest. There's a lot more plot and a lot more drama, but also some good amount of humor and crack in there. And uh, yeah, like I said, Morgana plays a plays an important part. Like she and Merlin become close friends and that's how Merlin meets the rest of her friends and author and so on and how that develops. So it's um, there's Merthyr in it and there is also Gwen and Lancelot in it. I also really enjoyed listening to the podfic. So if anyone wants to give the podfic a go, then, you know, listen to it. The next two are really short in comparison to that. The first one is called Kin, written by Selena or Selena or however the author prefers their name to be pronounced. It's also rated teen and up. It's only 4,625 words long. It's a gen fic um, that highlights the relationship between Arthur and Morgana through the years. It's from Arthur's point of view and the summary reads, A little more than kin and less than kind. Arthur and Morgana through the years. So you have different timestamps from um, Arthur meeting Morgana for the first time when they were children to Arthur and Morgana in the present of, I presume, season five when they are enemies and Arthur doesn't understand how it got to this point. And it's an it's an interesting character study i feel for their for their relationship throughout the years and also of morgana and arthur themselves as characters the other one is called you'll meet me halfway was written by growlery and potfic by akiko tree it's rated gen it's only a thousand and three hundred words long the potfic is just under 10 minutes so a quick listen there are arthur morgana and gwen as children in this story the summary is, Morgana is super jealous that she can't get sword training, but Arthur can. Arthur finds out and starts teaching her in secret to the best of his abilities. So, yeah, basically what it says. They, they secretly start sword fighting and then uh, Gwen joins in as well and they have all like a secret club as kids and it's just really cute. And the fourth one that I... Uh, discovered only today is called The Bittersweet Between My Teeth also written by Paperclip Bitch um, also rated teen it's 6,300 words long also a gen fic which is Morgana centric and from her point of view finally uh, and featuring Merlin and Mordred as well the summary is 
in which bloodlust doesn't even make the top 10 on Morgana's list of problems with her not-quite-life right now. Merlin is perpetually amused by, well, everything, and Mordred has decided to take part in Occupy Morgana's sofa. It's a story in which all three of them are some kind of immortal, like Merlin is his warlock, pow most powerful warlock of all times kind of immortal. Morgana is a vampire and nobody really knows what Mordred is. And there's there are some really funny bits, but also a lot of introspection about like how things ended in canon and how things developed from the end of season 5 to the 21st century and how they all sort of learn to coexist despite all of this heavy history between them from what we know from the show. So definitely recommend that one. I have some vidding recs as usual. I have got for you um, a vid that is by someone that is a big Morgana fan uh, called Alora Videos. Her videos are amazing. And this one is to a song by the band Skillet, and it's called Never Surrender. And uh, the I think the video is titled Make Me Feel Better, or it was. I don't know if she's changed it. Um, And it's perfect for Morgana because it's basically kind of the lyrics talk about how... Um, you know, like, oh, what happens when you're not who you want to be and, like, when you're your own worst enemy and, like, basically feeling l lost and scared and just wanting someone to, like, make the pain go away, which is perfect for her. The second one is by a really good friend of mine uh, called I Like You 31. I'm pretty sure I've wrecked her stuff before. She's amazing. And she did a lot of Morgana-centric vids back in the day. One of the ones I really loved was... um feeling like a ghost which was i think that's the title of the song as well it's by bob and uh kind of unusual genre because it's a bit more kind of like on the r&b kind of side but i really enjoy it and she added some really cool effects there as well and i'm sure most people know the song it was probably in the mainstream and uh it's like basically just kind of angry morgana feels which is always great and then the last one I have is really recent. Um, it was really recent to the time of our last recording. It only was published on the 2nd of February. So it's really cool to see people still vidding Merlin. <laughs> and it's by Sunny Vids. And it's called Comes and Goes. Now, I haven't watched this back since the first time I saw it. But I think that this is an instrumental song. Um or maybe not. I can't remember, guys, but it's really long and it's more kind of, of looking at her journey and her relationship to magic and it's really emotional and I really like it and it went straight into like my, my Merlin playlist because I thought it was amazing and I love that it's really recent as well. So those are my kind of three Morgana picks. Um, yeah, they're all amazing. Go and check them out. Awesome. Thank you. This brings us finally to the end of this episode and it's time to reveal for anyone who didn't go and check the schedule in the meantime who we're going to talk about next week. It's going to be Mordred. So that will be a really fascinating one to look at considering that when season five, like before season five aired, I didn't think we'd ever see him again. So <laughs> uh, yeah, um, we get to delve into 
that hot mess. <laughs> yes, and if we're lucky, if we can make our schedules align, we might be joined by a guest again in two weeks' time for this podcast. But we'll have to see how that works out. As ever, thank you for listening patiently through our long ramblings about characters that we like but hate the writers for ruining. <laughs> it has been fun for us at least in some way. Like, I mean, it's it's always fun to talk meta. It's also aggravating to think about how much could have been. <laughs> that's our that's our hidden theme for the entire podcast. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening, as usual. And we'll see you next time to talk about Mordred. And in the meantime, I'm Snowfox. And I'm Momotastic. Bye.